Exodus 29. So verse 1, this is what you shall do to them to consecrate them for ministering to me as priests. And then follows the list of materials needed and the clothing. We talked about that last week. And then skip down to verse 10. You shall also have the bowl brought before the tabernacle of meeting, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the bowl. Then you shall kill the bowl before the Lord by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. You shall take some of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger. Pour all the blood beside the base of the altar. And you shall take all the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, and the two kidneys and the fat that is on them, and burn them on the altar. But the flesh of the bull, with its skin and its offal, you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. You shall also take one ram, and Aaron and his son shall put their hands on the head of the ram, And you shall kill the ram, and you shall take its blood and sprinkle it all around on the altar. Then you shall cut the ram in pieces, wash its entrails and its legs, and put them with its pieces and with its head, and you shall burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. You shall also take the other ram, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the ram. Then you shall kill the ram, and take some of its blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron, and on the tip of the right ear of his sons, on the thumb of their right hand, and on the big toe of their right foot, and sprinkle the blood all around on the altar. And you shall take some of the blood that is on the altar, and some of the anointing oil, and sprinkle it on Aaron and on his garments, on his sons, and on the garments of his sons with him, and he and his garments shall be hallowed, and his sons and his sons' garments with him. Also, you shall take the fat of the ram, the fat tail, the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys, and the fat that is on them, the right thigh, for it is a ram of consecration, one loaf of bread, one cake made with oil, and one wafer from the basket of the unleavened bread that is before the Lord. You shall put all these in the hands of Aaron and in the hands of his sons, and you shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. You shall receive them back from their hands and burn them on the altar as a burnt offering is a sweet aroma before the Lord. It is an offering made by fire to the Lord. Then you shall take the breast of the ram of Aaron's consecration and wave it as a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be your portion. And from the ram of the consecration you shall sanctify the breast of the wave offering which is waved, and of the thigh of the heave offering which is raised, of that which is for Aaron and of that which is for his sons. It shall be from the children of Israel for Aaron and his sons by a statute forever. For it is a heave offering. It shall be a heave offering from the children of Israel from the sacrifices of their peace offerings, that is, their heave offering to the Lord. And the holy garments of Aaron shall be his sons after him to be anointed in them and to be consecrated in them. The son who becomes priest in his place shall put them on for seven days when he enters the tabernacle of meeting to minister in the holy place. And you shall take the ram of the consecration and boil its flesh in the holy place. Then Aaron and his sons shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. 
They shall eat those things with which the atonement was made to consecrate and to sanctify them. But a stranger shall not eat them because they are holy. And if any of the flesh of the consecration offerings or the bread remains until the morning, then you shall burn the remainder with fire. It shall not be eaten because it is holy. Thus you shall do to Aaron and his sons according to all that I have commanded you. Seven days you shall consecrate them. And you shall offer a bowl every day as a sin offering for atonement. You shall cleanse the altar when you make atonement for it, and you shall anoint it to sanctify it. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and sanctify it, and the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar must be holy. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar, two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. With the one lamb shall be one-tenth of an ephah of flour mixed with one-fourth of a hen of pressed oil, one-fourth of a hen of wine as a drink offering. And the other lamb you shall offer at twilight, and you shall offer with it the grain offering and the drink offering, as in the morning, for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord." This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak with you. And there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. So I will sanctify the tabernacle of meeting in the altar. I will also sanctify both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests. I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God, and they shall know that I am Yahweh their God, who brought them up out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am Yahweh, their God. Father, we thank you that you are Jehovah God. Help us to learn about Christ, our great high priest, from this ceremony that consecrates, that fills the hand of the priests so that they can minister to you and maintain your presence among your people. Lord, we thank you that we are priests, that in Christ we are charged with maintaining your presence in our lives and in your church. Father, help us to do that job, not to quench or grieve your spirit, but to keep him always with us. Thank you that you are holy and that you make us holy. Free us from distraction and tiredness, fix our minds on your gift of yourself to your people. In Christ's name, amen. So as we saw last week, the main category is not ordination. The main category with which to look at this chapter is not the category of ordination, but the category of consecration. That the word to ordain occurs basically two to four times in the chapter, whereas the word to make holy appears 17 times in the chapter. So the priests are to be made holy. The passage tells us tonight how exactly that was done. The priests in the altar were set apart for the work of maintaining God's presence through sacrificial blood and through the holy anointing oil. So the priests and altar were set apart for the work of maintaining God's presence through sacrificial blood and through the holy anointing oil. 
So the first part is sacrificial blood, and that's the bulk of the chapter, verses 5 through 35, and we'll look at verses 10 through 35 tonight. What are these offerings? Well, there's three offerings that are mentioned here. One bull, two rams. The first bull is a sin offering. The first ram is a burnt offering. And then the second ram is a peace offering that is offered as a heave or wave offering. What is the difference between these offerings? If you were paying careful attention, you noticed minute differences in the rituals. The sin offering, only part of the bull was burned on the altar. Uh, The meat was to be saved from the bull. Well, part of the bull was burned on the altar, the rest taken outside the camp and burned there. But the ram for burnt offering, all of the ram was burned on the altar within the tabernacle courtyard. And then finally, the heave offering or peace offering, most of that was eaten and only a small portion was burned on the altar. What do these three offerings mean? Well, the first one, the sin offering, is about dealing with sin. Aaron and his sons put their hand on the head of the animal to identify with the animal, to say, this animal represents me. And then the best parts of that animal, that bull, are burned up for the Lord. The fat, as you can see, all the fatty deposits from within the carcass are cut out and placed on the altar. And thus, like a refrain through Exodus and Leviticus, runs this, the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them, burn those on the altar. Why those parts? Well, the fat is regarded, was regarded as the best part. If you talk to an ancient Israelite and told him, I trim all my meat, I carefully cut all the fat off before I eat it, and I throw away the fat, that Israelite would have looked at you and said, Are you nuts? What's wrong with you? Why do you throw away the best part of the meal? God demanded the fat. In fact, in Leviticus, he says, You shall eat neither fat nor blood. Those are mine. The fat is the best part. The fat belongs to God. So, with the sin offering, you offer the choice parts to the Lord on the altar. You carry the rest outside the camp and dispose of it there. Thus indicating that sin has to be carried away and disposed of in the wilderness outside the camp. Sin is not something, we talked about this, right? You can't put sin nowhere. You have to put it somewhere. Sin has to be taken away. You can't just dump off your sin and leave it somewhere. Someone has to lift that burden of the sin and haul it away. So carrying the chunks of dead bull outside the camp and burning them there indicates very graphically the taking away of sin, separating the sin from Aaron and his sons and disposing of it. The second offering, the first ram, Aaron and his sons once again put their hands on the head and then the whole animal is burned on the altar. It's a whole burnt offering. A way of saying, God, I belong entirely to you. 
I don't partially belong to you, but rather every part of me is yours, just as every part of this ram is burned up and thus given to you. So the sin offering, in terms of our order of worship today, corresponds to our confession of sin, where we come into God's presence and admit our sinfulness. The burnt offering corresponds to our time of dedication, especially the offering that we give in worship to this day. It's a way of saying, Lord, all of me belongs to you. Now it may feel, and it is very different in one sense, in formal terms, to drop a check into a basket compared to burning up an entire ram on a giant bronze altar. But the meaning is the same. It is a burnt offering way of saying, I am all yours. Not just part of me, but all of me. So the priest's sin is dealt with with the sin offering. The burnt offering consecrates them to God for his service. And then the second ram, Aaron and his sons also identify with it. They are marked with its blood on their extremities, the right ear, the thumb of the right hand, the big toe of the right foot. To say, we're covering you from top to toe. From the top of your head, the most extreme part of your head, which is the tip of the ear, to the most extreme part of your foot, the tip of your toe, and also out at the end of your arm, your thumb, we have marked all of those extremities. The blood covers you. And then Aaron has to take the choice parts, the fat tail, the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe of the liver, the two kidneys, and the fat that is on them, and he waves those before the Lord. And scholars are still not sure exactly what that was. Did he go side to side or up and down? There's different, uh, different debates, different positions on what kind of waving it was. The King James translation, a new King James, reflects the idea that went up and down, which is why it's called a heave offering. Most other translations now have gone to wave offering, and the idea that it went back and forth. The basic idea is that you are presenting this to God for his inspection and saying, Lord, it's yours, and then you receive them back. If some of the things are burned and the rest is to be eaten. So verse 31, You shall take the ram of consecration, boil its flesh in the holy place, then Aaron and his son shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. This offering is about reckoning with past sin. It's like the sin offering. But instead of the rest of the bulb or ram being carried out of the camp and burned, the priests are allowed to eat it. And thus it deals with past sin, but it also provides for the future of the relationship. Where God says, I will provide for you to be my priest. I will feed you from this offering that my people have brought to me. So you give to God, you give him this ram, and then he responds and gives you part of the ram. What's the lesson? Well, true priesthood requires real, costly, bloody sacrifice. You can't ordain a priest for $10 and a chicken. It's very clear, right? This ceremony is repeated, as far as we can tell, seven days in a row. I don't know much about livestock prices today, 
But let's say, for the sake of illustration, that an unblemished bull brings $2,000 down at the sale barn. So if a bull goes for $2,000, and let's posit that a ram goes for half that. $1,000 for a ram, $2,000 for a bull. You need seven bulls, that's $14,000, and 14 rams, which is also $14,000. This ceremony that's described in this chapter would cost $28,000 in livestock alone. You can't get a priest for cheap. And obviously the ceremony would cost thousands more for the hand-tailored robes, the valuable anointing oil, the bread, the olive oil, the fuel sufficient to keep the altar going, and so on. Sacrifice is costly. It costs time, effort, and money. And on top of that, it requires a spiritual identification with the animal as you place your hands on its head to say, that which is about to happen this, to this animal ought to happen to me. The priest is going to take the knife and stab this thing in the neck and let all its blood drain out. That ought to happen to me. So not only is it an experience that's hard on the wallet, it's an experience that should be hard on the conscience. This visceral realization that oh I deserve to be hung up by the legs so all my blood can drain out because I've sinned against God so the priests are cleansed with the blood from the sacrifices as the Lord describes put it on Aaron and on his garments on his sons and the garments of his sons Verse 21, and he and his garments shall be hallowed, and his sons and his sons' garments with him. The blood makes them holy. The blood changes their purpose from being ordinary human beings to being specially set-apart human beings, priests whose purpose is to serve God in an extraordinary way. Then they were to be anointed with the holy oil as well. The oil is symbolic to show that they belong to God. The way it symbolizes is, at least one way it symbolizes is through smell. The oil is a fragrant anointing oil, a perfume essentially, and to dab it on them is to mark them with God's private smell. You catch the whiff of holiness when a priest walks by. Ooh, yep, he belongs at the tabernacle. I can just tell by the smell of the anointing oil on his garment. Smelling like, like Yahweh's private scent signifies that you are set apart for Yahweh's private purposes. God also provides for the future of the priesthood here by giving, saying, there will be ongoing sacrifices and from these you priests will eat. Now a skeptic reads this and sees the mark of fakery. Ah, yes, the clever priests. They figured out a way to get the others to feed them for free. That's not what's happening, though. The devout man sees the mark of God's faithfulness here. The ceremony is for God. The animal is offered to God. But God gives part of it away to feed his servants, the priests. From his largesse, he gives what is needed to care for those who protect his residence 
with his people. Well, maybe the most amazing verse in this chapter, to my mind, is verse 26. You shall take the breast of the ram of Aaron's consecration and wave it as a wave offering before the Lord. Which, by the way, I wish that the translators would use the terms that are more commonly used in supermarkets when it comes to cuts of meat. I, you can find recipes for lamb breast, but I don't think you're going to walk into the supermarket and find something on the shelf that's marked lamb breast. So I don't know who to write to to say, make these translators use the same words that you see in the supermarket. But anyway, clearly this is a pretty decent cut from the ram. Wave it as a wave offering before the Lord. And then there's that little comment at the end of the verse. It shall be your portion, Moses. God is in the midst of this incredible spiel where he just talks and talks and talks for six chapters straight. Moses never says a word. Moses is just sitting there scribbling away as fast as he can with his little pencil. And God has all these high and mighty things on his mind. Here's my tabernacle. Uh, blue, purple, scarlet yarns, fine twine linen. Here's my priests. Here's their clothes. Here's the ceremony. And in the middle of the ceremony, he takes the time to just say, by the way, Moses, that's your cut. I care about you. I feed you. I appreciate the work you're doing to make these priests. It's a pretty astonishing thing. God doesn't expect his servants to serve him for nothing. He knows that we have physical needs and he takes care of them. And he takes this moment to say to Moses, here's the part for you. Here's the cut you get. So the extra food that's left over after the ordination meal, the peace offering, is to be burned with, uh, any leftovers are to be burned with fire. Verse 34, it shall not be eaten because it is holy. That is, it belongs to God. You can't just throw it in a Tupperware and put it in the fridge until the next day. Oh, look at these leftovers from the ordination ceremony. No, it's holy. It belongs to God. Which means, like the manna, it's not to be kept overnight. It was to be eaten at the time when God gave it. And if you couldn't eat it then, you send it back to the Lord who gave it as a burnt offering. Thank you, Lord for sharing this meal with me. It's a way of God saying, you're at my house, you're eating my food. You don't take my leftovers home. They're my leftovers. I keep them. Just as today, when someone invites you over, it's very rude to say, wow, thank you for the meal. Can I take home the leftovers? You don't do that. God told Moses and Aaron, don't take home the leftovers. Leave them at my house. They're mine. Verses 29 and 30 describe how the robes of office are to be passed down. Uh, the holy garments of Aaron shall be his sons after him. Aaron will die, but the robes that make him a priest will live on, will be passed on to the next generation. Priesthood is not a one-time thing. Priesthood is an ongoing institution in the life of Israel. Israel will always have a priest. That's the plan here. Now, Hosea says this, something fascinating in Hosea 3. He points to this time when Israel will be cut off from a priest. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, 
without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Hosea says, there is a punishment coming on this sinful nation, which is that there will be no sacrifice, no ephod. They will not have priestly work in their midst. But then he adds, Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. Now that second verse doesn't say anything about there being a priest in the latter days. But we should understand, we in fact do understand, that when David the king is restored, he will serve as a priest too, which is of course exactly what the New Testament says, that Christ is our king and our priest. Hence the enigmatic note in 2 Samuel 8 that David's sons were priests. The narrator just throws that out and moves on. It's a way, it's a hint to us that David's greater son, the Lord Jesus, will be the great and perfect high priest. So the robes of office are passed down. God provides for the ongoing role of the priest by feeding them, by giving them the holy clothing that they need. Then this ceremony is to be performed for seven days. Verse 35, thus shall you do to Aaron and his sons seven days you shall consecrate them. It took seven days to create the world. It takes seven days for the new creation act of making priests who will superintend and preserve God's dwelling among his people. There's two verses then on how to consecrate the altar. The altar too must be holy in order to serve its function within the tabernacle. You shall offer a bowl every day, cleanse the altar with the blood of that bowl. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and sanctify it. The altar is polluted by sin. Sin runs so deep that the wickedness of humanity has stained even our wood and bronze boxes. The altar needs to be moved from profane to common by the application of sin-offering blood and then from common to holy by being anointed with the holy anointing oil. In a certain sense, it shares in the vocation of the priest, as does the whole tabernacle. This dwelling place of God is there so God can dwell with his people, which is also why the priests are there, so God can dwell with his people. Christ has sacrificed an altar, priest and victim. That's why everything had to be anointed because it all pointed, the whole institution pointed to Christ, the anointed one. The note about consecrating the altar ends with another note. Don't let anything unholy touches it. Touch it. Whatever touches the altar must be holy. To be a holy priest to God means that you should avoid all that is profane and impure. The altar of burnt offering was not allowed to touch anything profane or impure. How do we understand this in terms of our own holiness as priests to God? We should not touch what is profane and impure. And that doesn't mean you can't talk to sinners. But we should not be producing unholy things, consuming unholy things, selling unholy things, etc., Now, natural physical substances are not unholy. What is unholy is sin. And 
There's sinful ways of handling money and sexuality and uh, stuff, right? Fencing stolen goods. That's a profane action. There's nothing profane about a car. But a stolen car is unholy. And for you to participate in the supply chain of selling or buying that stolen car is an unholy action. That is touching unholiness. That was forbidden for the altar. It's also forbidden for the priests. So Moses is telling us, God is telling us, you're a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Don't get involved in sin at any point along the chain. Don't look at the natural substances of the world and say, oh, that's sinful. But do recognize that sin can taint and does taint anything that people use for sin or anything that is involved in being sinned with. If you're involved in the sin, you're violating your priesthood. Well, remember we talked last week about all ordination is for a specific calling. There's no ordination without a definite call. What is the definite call of the priest? Well, it's summed up here at the end of chapter 29 in four major things. The first thing the priest and altar are for is to offer the daily burnt offering. And that daily burnt offering is described, lamb in the morning, lamb in the evening, 365 days a year. God's people are rededicated to God consistently, morning by morning, evening by evening, day by day. The positive interpretation of this action is that God has provided for His people forever in an ongoing act of worship that continuously rededicates Israel to Him and His services. That lamb is burned up, and then another one is burned up that night, and the next one the next morning. God says, you are my people, you belong to me, you belong entirely to me. This daily burnt offering says so. The negative interpretation of the daily burnt offering is found in the book of Hebrews. And that negative interpretation is simply that this offering didn't actually work. It had to be repeated over and over and over, and therefore it did not succeed in dedicating Israel to God in a full, complete, and final way. Both interpretations are true. Positively, the altar, the daily burnt offering, did rededicate Israel to God. But negatively, it failed to do so in a consummate fashion. The Old Testament system smelled strongly of this world. It was repeated every day. Most of the things we do are repeated on some kind of cyclical basis. There are a few once-for-all things in our human life. Right? You get married once for all, but you maintain that marriage on a daily basis. You have to eat every day and produce or buy or find new food every day. It would be impossible to grow in one year enough food to feed yourself for the rest of your life. Nor would you want to. You don't want to say, oh, I want food that was produced 55 years ago. No, the world is on a cycle where we're constantly needing to redo the thing we already did. I had breakfast yesterday, I had it today, I will have it again tomorrow. The positive interpretation is, 
God provides breakfast for me every day. The negative interpretation is, so long as I am in this world, I will never finish eating breakfast. I will have to keep doing it to sustain myself. Christ's sacrifice comes into the world as a piece of eternity, as a once-for-all thing. It doesn't have to be repeated every day, day after day after day. It happened once, and that is final, that is forever. Our worship is a little different than this worship because we don't offer a sacrifice anymore. We're still living on the wealth of the one eternal, once-for-all sacrifice. So the priests and the altar are for this burnt offering to maintain God's presence, to rededicate the people to Him. The second thing, therefore, is to meet with God. I will meet with you I will meet you to speak with you, and there I will meet with the children of Israel, says God. I will meet you to speak with you. We talked about this this morning. Man lives on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The tabernacle exists to facilitate meeting between us and God. We can't live without hearing from God. And so the tabernacle is the place where God reveals himself, as he literally does, speaking to Moses for the entire book of Leviticus, from the door of the tabernacle. There he reveals himself. There he speaks to Israel. The priests also provide for God's dwelling among his people. I will sanctify the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. I will sanctify Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests. We talked about that verse last week. I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. What does verse 45 say? The role of the priest is to facilitate the dwelling of God among the children of Israel. The priest's job is to keep God in residence. God came. He lived among his people, not as a homeless person sleeping on the street. He had a custom tent made with custom personnel to service that tent and maintain his residence within it. You and I are priests. That means we are called to facilitate God's dwelling among us today. How do we do that? Not by offering a daily burnt offering, but by living holy lives, not quenching or grieving the Spirit. We're being built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We are priests within that temple called to ensure that God continues to remain among us by living in a way that pleases Him and keeps His presence with us. Finally, the role of the priests and the tabernacle is to teach who God is. When the tabernacle is up and running, when the priests are ordained, they shall know that I am Yahweh their God. Now we've seen that many times in Exodus. Exodus is the book of the knowledge of God. And God tells Moses, when this tabernacle is functioning, they will know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt to be their God, that I may dwell among them. God's residence in the tabernacle teaches us who he is and what he is like. The tabernacle is like the book of Exodus. They are both about knowing God. Do you know him? Do you recognize your great high priest 
in this stuff about the fat on the kidneys and the long lobe of the liver. You should. He is the one who offered himself. This stuff is relevant to us. This stuff about ordaining Levitical priests because we have such a high priest. He has his hands full with ordination because he's got the whole world in his hands. He's busy consecrating all of it to his Father, making it holy, bringing about the day when Eden will cover the earth and it will be full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Christ's hands are full, but he knows our name, feeds us, and continually reveals the Father to us as our prophet, even while interceding for us as our priest and reigning over us as our king. As I said last week, there is no ordination without call to a definite work. The son of David has been called to the work of saving the world, and when we see him, we know that the Father is all about that same work of saving the world. That's why he gave his son the task. It will happen. The kingdom will come. The world will be saved through our great high priest. Let's pray. Father, help us to wait, hope, and worship, to know your son as high priest, to know that you are the one who delivered us from sin, who brought us out of the land of Egypt so you could dwell among us and be our God. Father, we thank you that you paid the cost of the true priest, that he offered not $28,000 worth of bulls and rams, but himself, his own blood, the most precious thing the world has ever seen, so that we could be his people and he our priest. Father, we praise you, we bless you, we worship you, we glorify you. In the name of Jesus, our priest, king, Messiah. Amen.